is Warren McKenzie. For those of you who don't know me, uh, I pastor at a church called Biota Baptist Church in Inala, Brisbane. And uh, it's been a blessing to, to labor alongside um, Hope Church for the gospel, uh, to be involved recently with the Stand Firm Conference as well. And uh, so it's a blessing for me, a joy to be back here tonight. And uh, I'll be uh, preaching from Colossians chapter 2 this evening. So if you want to open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 7 this evening. Now, Paul's letter to the Colossians is one of uh, Christ exaltation. It's, it's Christ-centered, and uh, through the letter of Colossians, believers are directed again and again to the person of Christ, that we would be built up in him, we would be rooted in him, that we would not sway from him as believers. And so it's a, uh, it's a, it's a wonderful thing to come to this letter again tonight. And your faithful expositors of uh, here at Hope have led you through chapter 1, so by God's grace, I'll be opening up chapter 2 uh, and preaching to you and exalting Christ to you tonight, looking again at uh, Christ alone for all things. And so let's begin tonight with a, a reading of God's living word. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This is God's word for us tonight. Uh, let us pray. God, as we come before your word tonight to sit under your word I pray that you will do a work in us by your spirit, that you will guide us, that you will teach us, that you will give us ears to hear your word, but you will also help us by your spirit to obey what you teach us in your word. I pray, Lord, that I would decrease, that you would increase, and that I would be faithful to the scripture alone tonight. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So as Paul uh, begins this chapter, he is opening up, talking about the struggle that he has for the church at Colossae. And he writes from Rome a letter that is for the Christians there at Colossae, but they're also for the neighboring city at Laodicea. He shares this letter with them. They share the letter with the brothers and sisters in faith in this place also. The church began at Colossae from the ministry of Paul in Ephesus, and we find this uh, from Acts 19 verse 10 where it says, for two years, all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. It's from out of this preaching, it's from out of this evangelism and mission came the church at Colossae. And this struggle that Paul has for them is, is really best understood if we just go back a couple of verses to what Paul has said previously. Because we should remember that when Paul writes this, he doesn't write chapter 2, chapter 3, and so on. It is just one flowing letter as he writes. 
So what has he just said previously? He has just said, if you will return with me to the text of verses 28 and 29, he says, him we proclaim, that's Christ. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this reason I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So the takeaway for the original reader and then also for us today is that the aim of the writing of the letter, the the struggling that is going on, is to see Christians become mature in Christ, to see them go on and to grow in knowledge and grace of the Lord Jesus. To understand this word struggle that Paul is using here, it actually comes from the word agony. And the origin of the word is actually helpful for us as it paints a picture in our mind of what Paul is doing and what he's going through as he considers his audience that he is is writing to, that he is struggling for. And this agony actually comes from, this, this word of struggle originates from the place where the Greeks actually assembled for Olympic Games, where their competitors agonized in wrestling and foot races where they fought to win. So as we have this visual then of this, this origin of this Olympic competition, we think of an athlete who is, who is wrestling, who is struggling or agonizing to win. And if Paul is doing this, he is laboring, he is agonizing, doing this, this work so that the Colossians, the, the, the people who are receiving this letter, he is struggling for them that they should be presented mature in Christ. His labor is for their growth in God. Or as he writes to the the Galatians, he talks about Christ being formed in them. And this is for, for all of us who receive the scriptures, that we are to go on and have Christ formed in us, that we are to mature and grow as we study the word of God, as we read these same letters today. So all of his effort, Paul's labor, is ground in working for Christ to be formed in them, for them to become mature, for their good in the faith, in the gospel, that they are becoming people who are firm in Christ. They're believers then who are not uh, swayed by other teachings. Now, what Paul wrote, as as I've stated, is not just for the original recipients, but God's word is living and it is for us today that we would take hold of these same truths. So what we hear being said to the original audience is for us to consider our own growth tonight, our own maturing in Christ. In a similar way that Paul is agonizing or struggling for this maturity in believers, your pastors are agonizing today each week to see you grow and become mature in Christ also. For me at Biota, as, a, uh, as an under-shepherd, under Christ, I struggle for the maturity of my congregation. I, I labor in this each week. The, the coming together of God's people is, is not simply so that we get together and have a nice experience and, and can say that we enjoyed each other's company. The aim is that maturity in Christ is being sought as we gather together week by week. There's a similar sense where we as believers, brothers and sisters laboring together, are making disciples of each other and we struggle and wrestle for each other. 
Isn't it our great desire? Isn't it a great joy to us when we hear of a brother or sister going on for Christ? We rejoice amongst each other and tell of these stories as we hear and we see each other becoming more mature in Christ. And this is good and right for us to labor in such way. This is good for us to spend our days and spend our time struggling for each other to grow in Christ. What does God want for us today? He wants maturity in him. He wants Christ-centeredness, never moving, uh, sorry, never moving on from the basics of the faith, but growing in knowledge and maturity concerning Christ our King, concerning his scriptures. So Paul states specifically then, that this struggle, if you'll return to the text with me, it says that as he is, he is struggling, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So there is a list of aims. This, this labor and this effort that Paul is putting in has these, this list of aims that he wants. We've already talked about coming off Chapter 1, maturity in Christ. Let's see what this looks like. He wants to see hearts encouraged. There is an agonizing for the encouragement of your heart. We read this letter. The, the, the recipients read the letter to each other so that their hearts would be encouraged. From the study of the scriptures, as they share with one another over these words, they are encouraged and built up as a result of the teaching. So a Christian person is not to be one who is dragging their feet, not one who is down and without hope, not lacking motivation, not lacking encouragement in faith. The opposite for us is true. The opposite for the Christian. You are to be built up with encouragement. You are to be encouraged in your serving Christ, your following Christ. You are to be encouraged in your gathering together with God's people. You are to be strengthened for the task of the Great Commission and taking the good news of the gospel to a lost and hurting world. Paul struggles that hearts would be encouraged in the body of Christ, in the household of God. He adds that we would be knit together in love. Later on in the letter, Paul will use the words love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So not just encouragement for us, that we are um, uh, encouraged to go on for Christ, but that we are knit together in love. The Christian life is not to be lived one off over here and then another over here, all having the same belief, yes, but we are to be knitted and stitched together in the love of God. It is therefore not easy to up and leave the body of Christ. If we are being knit together in love as believers, as brothers and sisters in the faith, it is not simple that we can just get up and leave the body of Christ. It is harder for you to be taken out of the penfold by a false teacher because if you are stitched into the fabric of the community of believers, you are grounded you are grounded in Christ, you are grounded then in the local body. And it's important for us to make sure also that we are aware of the love by which we are knit together. 
It's one thing to hear that today, tonight, and, and think, knit together in love. But we want to make sure that if we consider those words, we have the right type of love that we are being knit together with. In the world today, there is a vague love, a love that is based on feelings and also desires. And it's important to make sure that we are not thinking of this vague feeling of love that we are being knit together with. If we were to consider the idea of love from our culture, our society today, the world today does not know what love actually is. In this sense, love is just a a mere feeling that comes and then goes. Love is what the LGBTQ community tell you that it is. Love is vague with no grounding in truth. Ultimately, love is just personal opinion and experience in the world standards. Often, love is just lust. And love, by this definition, changes as your feelings change. One day you can love one thing, love can be very different the very next day. No, we are not being knit together with no vague love like this. No flimsy idea of love that depends on our mood or our current desire. That version of love will not keep us together as a community of God. And that kind of love will not uh, uh, guard you against the storms of life that come. It is the true love, instead, that comes from God that we are being knit together with. 1 John 4 says, Let us love one another, for love is from God. God. We are to be specific about the love that we are knit together with. It is the love that comes from God. God is love and God gives love to us, namely through the person of Jesus Christ. In verse 9 of 1 John 4, he says, this love is in Christ. Uh, He says, the love of God was made manifest among us when God sent his only son. So if we're thinking of love biblically, we are to think of God being love, giving love, but expressed and given to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Love is Christ crucified for sinners. Love is then speaking the truth of uh, the love of God's world to a world that often will think that it sounds like hateful speech. This is what takes place in a wicked and perverse generation, love sounds hateful in the world in which we live. There are too many Christians today who can be swayed by the definitions of love presented by the culture of the day, bullied into thinking that love is niceness, getting along with everybody despite the fact that they would rebel and profane the name of God. No, we are knit together with the true love of the mighty Yahweh and his words written. So Paul labors, he struggles to see that we are encouraged and stitched together, knitted together in the love that comes from our Heavenly Father, through Christ Jesus. And he says that through this, we would be reaching the riches of full assurance, of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. And this is where Paul is directing us as we consider this this flow of what Paul is doing as he's considering the maturing of the Christian 
the encouragement that they, are, that they are receiving, knitting together in love, that they would have full assurance of God's mystery, and he points to the person of Christ for this to take place. See, a Christian is not a, a mere person who hopes it will all work out in the end. This isn't a, a belief where we're just hoping that this will be true and it'll work out for us in the end. I hope I did enough in this life. I hope I will be right with God. When we do outreach, we speak to Muslims at times who will confess that there is no assurance in their faith. They won't know until judgment if they did enough for salvation. There is no assurance. But that's what happens when you follow fake gods. When you make up idols who offer you nothing more than religious duty. But in Christ, who is the mystery of God revealed, having saving knowledge of him, the believer now walks in this life with full assurance. Not part assurance, not just a little bit of assurance, but we are to have full assurance in Christ. Saving knowledge of him. Our God is both a promise maker as well as a promise keeper. And just as he assured us of Christ's coming to die a sinner's death in our place, he fulfilled that promise and he promises us full assurance in him who is faithful. That produces a different type of Christian, a different type of person. If you compare that for a moment, one who walks in life just hoping it'll work out, compare that with one who has full assurance of Christ their King. That is a Christian who will grow with a confidence not in themselves, but a confidence in Christ, that they will be confident in life's battles. They will be confident when they go out on the street and evangelize. There will be a confidence in them when they go to their workplace and they have an opportunity to speak the words of life, speaking the words of the gospel to another person. You have assurance because of Christ that when you are speaking these words, they have impact upon those who listen. You have confidence in your salvation. It's not, uh, we're not flippant with that, of course. We, we want to test ourselves and make sure that we are in the faith, but we are fully assured of our God and his promises to his people. So we can see more clearly this, this wrestle, this struggle that Paul is having for his people, for his readers. He is laboring for mature Christians. He's laboring for robust Christianity, for people who would live boldly for Christ, making disciples where he places them. And there is a difference here in the way one presents Christianity in the church, that this is not simply a, a, a nice gathering together, but that we would go out more differently than the way that we came in. That we would leave the gathering more equipped, more able to stand strong in faith, more loving of each other, having been knit together where it really counts. And we are not hopeless people, we are hopeful people with full assurance in Christ. He points to the person of Jesus. He doesn't say this full assurance just in, uh, in uh, the being knit together. The assurance doesn't come from the being knit together in love, and it doesn't come uh, from just having our hearts encouraged by words that Paul has written. It all comes from the person of Christ. 
in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Just return to the text with me and have a look at this amazing verse. Concerning Christ, in whom there is full assurance and hope, look at these words. It says, in whom, this is Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This is an epistemological statement. If you were at the Stand Firm conference, we talked about epistemology being this, this branch of study about knowing how we know something. It's the study of knowledge, ultimately, when we talk about epistemology. And this verse, verse 3, is a statement about where knowledge comes from in the first place. How do we know something in life? How do we have assurance of even being able to, to know and have knowledge and obtain knowledge? You could word this, this a little differently and ask the question, where are you getting your knowledge from? Or how do you know that the knowledge that you have is true and not false? And since the scripture is authoritative, since the scripture is the breathed out word of God, it's just been stated to us in this very verse that knowledge and wisdom is found in Christ. This is the foundation. The ability to know something and have knowledge is found firstly in Christ. See, if you choose any other source to gain knowledge without consideration of the very first principle, you are starting in the wrong place. This is the very reason why you can be a non-believer and appear to be intelligent and have so much knowledge of worldly things and have a great intellect but still be called a fool, foolish, because the knowledge hasn't been built upon that which is Jesus Christ. So we must get the basic foundation right to begin with when it comes to knowledge and wisdom itself. God has revealed the source to us right here in this text, that the source of knowledge and wisdom is Christ himself. G.K. Chesterton states that the man who begins to think without the proper first principle goes mad. You hear that? The man who begins to think without the proper first principle goes mad. He begins to think at the wrong end. So the question we can ask is, do you want to be wise? Do you want knowledge? Then you need Christ. He's the foundation of it. All else is foolishness without this very first principle that knowledge and wisdom are found in him. So Paul builds up his reader in the, the true Christ of Scripture. All else is foolishness without. And he needs to do this. Paul is strengthening his listener, his reader. The words that we have are strengthening and encouraging us and giving this full assurance to us. Why? He says in verse 4, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So the Christian person is built up, encouraged, knit together, finding their foundation of knowledge and wisdom in Christ so that they would not be persuaded by plausible arguments. In our reality in life, there are arguments uh, surrounding us everywhere we go. Opposition to Christ enemies of Christ everywhere we go. To, to be a follower of Christ is to have enemies, uh, those who would have arguments and opposition against Christ. 
Paul is writing this to the people in his day because false teachers were rampant in the church. And this is no different today. False teaching is rampant in the modern church in the world in which we live. I'm sure by now you've, you've, you've heard much of the Gnostics who taught that God is good but that matter is evil. That the spirit is good but everything pertaining to the flesh and the body is evil. So it didn't matter about your sin. In this teaching, Jesus Christ is not supreme, but he's nothing more than a series of manifestations descending down from God. The teaching of the Gnostics was that Jesus was less than God, and they deny the true humanity of Christ in this teaching. Gnostics teach a secret knowledge or a higher knowledge that they uh, say is a higher knowledge other than Christ and the scriptures. And they say that these things were necessary for enlightenment, that these other teachings were necessary for salvation. Some of them were, were calling it for and embracing uh, Jewish Old Testament law and dietary law and ceremonial law. They called for the worship of angels and mystical experiences. See, the word Gnostic means is about knowledge, and these false teachers were presenting something other than Christ, saying that you had to have another type of knowledge in order to be enlightened. And you know what? People do the same thing today. Have you noticed how people will ignore the 66 books of the authoritative, inspired word of God and go chasing after the one that they heard was forbidden? Have you heard of things like the Gospel of Thomas and people saying, oh, you don't know like I do because I've actually read one of these other Gospels? Rather than embracing the scriptures that we do have, they chase after some other knowledge something that they claim to be secret to the masses, something less known. And if you were to spend a mere five minutes studying any of those books, you would see that they are laughable. If you were to spend a bit of time seeing the content of those books, you will see how foolish they are and why they are not included in the Scriptures. There are false doctrines being presented everywhere. False teachings of Christ, other knowledges, other means of knowledge. And so Paul grounds his listener, his reader, in Christ himself as the source of all knowledge and wisdom. That they would not be taken away by deceit. That they would not be swept up by another teaching. Paul directs his reader to not be deluded, but rather to look to Christ and to him alone. He's ultimately saying that everything that you are going to need is in Christ. Christ alone has the true knowledge that we need for salvation. Christ alone has the knowledge we need for life and for eternity ahead of us. And all of the cults that we have today, they're cults because they have a different Christ than what the Scriptures present. They don't have the one that Paul is presenting here whether it's the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, or other cults, they will all say that they believe in Christ. But which Christ is the question? Because it is not the one that Paul presents. Like the Gnostics, they have a defective Christ. 
They have a Christ that's even perhaps partly true. But if you've got a partly true Jesus, that is not a Jesus who can save you from your sin. If you have a partly true Jesus, you've got a false Jesus. You have either true Jesus of Scripture or false Christ. So Paul labors, agonizes that his reader, that we today as well would know the true Christ of Scripture, the one who can truly save us from our sins. And he says in verse 5, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. He is absent in body because he is a prisoner in Rome, but he is with them in spirit, encouraging them, building them up. Meaning that although he isn't there in person, he is with them in their following Christ. He is prayerful for them constantly. He is with them in in thought and in his writing and laboring for them as he instructs them from the position of being an apostle for Christ. He rejoices as he hears about them, as he hears about their good order. Order is good. Discipline is good as we grow and mature in Christ. Order is good in the household of God and in our lives. And Paul hears of the firmness of the faith that they have. And he wants to uh, spur them on in this same direction that they are already in. When, I, when I, I was looking at this passage this week, I was thinking about the same way that I check Facebook, talk to Tom, talk to uh, other people that I know here at Hope, and I'm spurred on as I hear about the firmness of your faith here at Hope Church. There is a a building up of the body of Christ as we hear about each other, even though we're not physically present. I'm encouraged, I'm built up as I hear about how you walk in him and teach others to do the same. Last week, I preached at a friend's church, Grace Church on the north side, and I was able to bring back the report to the family at Biota of the faith community on the north side who loved Christ and boldly lived and proclaimed him also. Paul rejoices in the knowledge of brothers and sisters who are firm in faith. And we need this. We need this type of encouragement in the body. There are many places to look in the modern church where we do grieve the state of the modern church. So when we learn of households of faith that are going forward with maturity in Christ... It builds us up. We are encouraged. We are better as a result. We are iron sharpening iron. So Paul says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. As you received Christ Jesus your Lord, walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So as a result of this this teaching that he's given, the encouragement, the discussion of being knit together in love and having full assurance in him, you are not swayed by plausible arguments and you are to therefore continue to walk in him, established in the faith, giving praise, giving thanksgiving for this taking place. Walk in him is the New Testament phrase that refers to the believer's daily conduct, how you live your life, how the the, the Colossians lived their life was them walking in him, their daily conduct 
as Christians. So to walk in Christ is to live a life that is patterned after his. That's why he says, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And this will be the result of being rooted and built up in him, secure in Christ, established in faith, producing joyful thanksgiving. To walk in him is not, uh, uh, it's not a vague modern idea of just being, trying to be like the hands and feet of Jesus and do nice things in our community. Although those things are important, that we aim to, to serve our communities and, and love those who are in need, of course, True walking in Christ requires rigorous study of who Christ is. To truly walk in Christ is to know him through the scriptures, to study him in order that we would walk in the same way in which he walked. Your Bible, your faithful church community, and the sound teaching that is being given to you week by week is what each believer needs so that we would grow and have that full assurance in Christ. It is this full assurance that God wants for his people. As I'm working my way through this and and, and seeing Paul's words where he says, as you have received Christ. And it should occur to us that Paul writes to Christians. This is a letter being written to Christian uh, people, a Christian audience. So I want to make sure as well that this assurance would be for anybody who has not yet received Christ. That you would be somebody not missing out on the knowledge and wisdom that comes only from Christ. Because you can only have this if you have first received Christ. So I want to make sure tonight that this assurance is yours also that you have the knowledge and wisdom and that you have received him. Because everything that I have said about full assurance and having Christ being knit together in love with a body of believers and being grounded in him, that is not yours if you have not received Christ. And maybe you are listening in as somebody who is growing in familiarity with with Christ and Christianity or coming along and, and hearing the messages, but maybe you have not yet received Christ. And so if you are hearing this and you know that that is you, what you need tonight is the power of God for salvation. If you are hearing this tonight knowing that that is you, salvation has not come to you yet, and that is a very scary thing. For the sake of your eternal soul, you need the power of God for salvation, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ And you need to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ in order that you would receive him. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ and it saves sinners from hell. It saves sinners from a place where there is no peace. A place where there is uh, the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell is the place that is reserved for unrepentant sinners. And it is described as the outer darkness. A place of eternal torment. And if I am knit together in love with the body of Christ, then I am compelled to speak the message to you, to see you rescued from a place where there is only torment. So in love, I tell you tonight that Jesus Christ is the true Son of God. 
that he is truly God and he is truly man. That Jesus Christ left his heavenly home and he took on human flesh so that he might be condemned in that flesh for our sake. What that means is that Christ came with a mission to save sinners from the punishment that we deserve. He took on the wrath of God that we deserve. He came to take our sin upon himself, to become sin, to be cursed in our place so that we might receive the forgiveness of sins, that we might receive eternity and be united to Christ for all of eternity. To believe upon Christ, if you do this, all of your sin, that list of rebellious, law-breaking deeds that you have against God would be wiped clean, would be destroyed, would be removed from you should you believe upon Christ and receive him. Christ died a foul and disgusting sinner's death so that his people would receive life rather than death. So what do you need to do? You need to receive forgiveness. You need to receive Christ by believing upon him. You need to believe that he died for your sins specifically. Not just that he was a wise teacher from history. Not just that he was a good role model for us. You need, to be under, you need to be able to understand tonight that you have sinned against a holy and righteous God and that Jesus died in your place. You need to believe that he died and was resurrected from the grave, overcoming that sin, overcoming death itself. So friend, if you're hearing me tonight and you believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose again, then I compel you to receive Christ. Believe upon him. Repent of your sin. Speak to him even this evening. Talk to him and repent of your sin before him and believe upon Jesus, him crucified, to receive eternal life tonight. If you're here and you are stirred in this way, I I pray you would come and speak to me. I, I hope that you would come and speak to me or somebody here tonight about coming to Christ. And for those of you who are here as Christians tonight, believers, tonight we have spent time together in Paul's letter, directing us to the person of Christ in whom is all knowledge and wisdom. So may your heart be encouraged tonight. May you look across this room and consider the work of what God is doing by his spirit amongst you, that he is knitting you together with other believers, strengthening you that you would have full assurance in him. So may you leave tonight strengthened, built up. May you leave tonight encouraged in Christ, having full assurance of your salvation, not because of your effort or work, but because of him who is faithful. Let's pray. Father, we consider these words tonight and we consider the labor, the struggling of Paul for believers. And Lord, we thank you for elders. We thank you for pastors. We thank you for people in the body of Christ who would labor that we would grow in Christ, in maturity. We thank you, Lord, that you would point us in the scriptures tonight to the person of Jesus in whom is all knowledge and wisdom. That we would have everything that we need for life because we have Christ. So I pray tonight that we would leave this place with full assurance that we would leave this place 
with our hearts and our minds set upon Christ who is faithful. And Lord, for anybody here tonight who has not come to the place of receiving Jesus, I pray that tonight would be the night where they would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. We pray this together tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.